Hello and welcome to the podcast Shaped By. Shaped By is an interview series brought to you by Murray Edwards College, Newhawk at the University of Cambridge. In each episode, we will interview a member of our alumni exploring the experiences which will shape them to become the women they are today. This series is produced by Molly Gibson, me, Lexi Hoskins and myself, Eliza Gagelli. In this episode, I'm joined by Walsha Kale, a competition lawyer with over 20 years of experience in her field. Walsha began studying English and law at Murray Edwards College Newhall in 1990. She went on to be admitted to practice as a solicitor in 2000 and following that, she became a qualified barrister in the UK and has been admitted to the New York Bar. We were lucky enough to speak to Walshaw at a turning point in her career as she's recently taken on a completely new role and challenge as Senior Global Competition Editor at Thomson Reuters. So you could say that this episode was perfectly timed for Walshaw to look back over her career in law. And I really loved how honest and open she was throughout. I want to welcome my guest Walsha Kale to the podcast. Welcome Walsha. how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And thank you so much for joining. We're delighted to have you on. How has the last year been for you with working? Have you been in the office much or have you, I mean, you've got, a, you're sat in your office at home, I'm assuming at the moment, and you've got a gorgeous books, book um, stand behind you. Yes, I was hoping you wouldn't uh, see the like mess over there, but yes, <laughs> I, I am in my home office and um I, I, I'm one of those um, flexitarian types, I think. I, I have been going into the office, but I also enjoy working from home um, from time to time. And um, I, I do think that there are definite benefits to both. And I certainly wouldn't want, wish to choose one over the other. And, and I'm glad that my current employer doesn't require me to choose. Are you based in London now? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm working uh, with Thomson Reuters in Canary Wharf. Um, which actually is a big change for me because I only started with them uh, last month in the month of October. And uh, prior to that, uh, I spent over 20 years working as a solicitor in competition law in the City of London. Perhaps if we go all the way back, you also grew up in London, didn't you? So I was wondering when you were growing up in London, what did you dream of doing? You know, did you have an idea of what you really wanted to be when you were older or what you wanted to do at uni? No, not really. Uh, I, I don't think I had any idea. Um, I, I used to read a lot. So I was your sort of quintessential bookworm, not very sporty, loved, loved reading. And uh, my brother thought I should become a librarian. So ah. the one thing I, I was determined not to do was to become a librarian. Um, but that did really um, lead me towards uh, studying English literature, which was um my, my, my first love at uni, if you like. And, uh, and, and yes, it, it, it wasn't necessarily something I was uh, going to do, you know, as a career perspective, but I, I thought, given how much I used to read at the time, it, it seemed uh, the obvious choice. And, and that's what I, I studied, to begin with, at least. Your application process wasn't necessarily smooth sailing, was it? And I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about that experience. No, uh, it certainly wasn't uh, plain sailing. And I must admit, this is the first time I've gone on the record. Uh, If you like to admit this to a wider audience, I'm beyond, I I think, caring what other people think of me now. I I had a milestone birthday uh, earlier this year, which which has also um, propelled me to do other things. But 
if, if we go back to um, me as a teenager in the late 80s, um, unfortunately, I, I, I actually had an offer from another Cambridge college, which will be unnamed for these purposes, which, which I missed. I, I, I didn't do well enough in my A-levels. And um, I mean, what can I say? It was, it was just a total shock to me. I, I think, I mean, looking back, I, I think it was a combination of um, the pollen count being rather high that year, uh, taking too many antihistamines, uh, taking the exams when I wasn't really at my best. And, and perhaps there was a hint of hubris there as well, because I'd done extremely well in my O-levels. I had um, O-levels. Yes. Remember those? You probably don't. <laughs> it's a long time ago. I'm proud or perhaps afraid to say I was the last year of O-levels. And, uh, and, I, and I had a perfect set of A grades and, and I thought uh, A-levels would be a breeze. And unfortunately, I think it was the pollen which <laughs> wafted on the breeze and rather floored me. And um, I, didn't, I didn't get what I thought I was going to get. And I was also told by my headmistress at the time that um, in no uncertain terms that uh, you only get one bite of the cherry and I bluffed it and, uh, and what to do. So, um, so I, I actually thought, well, and, and my mother at that point was extremely supportive. I, I thought, well, you know, maybe this is not um, perhaps my destiny and uh, maybe it's worth having another go, uh, which actually I think is, is, is not a... It, it was a hard uh, lesson to learn at the time, but um, I think it was actually quite an important life lesson. So, so I, I reset my A-levels. Um, I obtained the requisite grades and Newhall, as it was at the time, of, of course, uh, was the only Cambridge college to give me a second chance. Um, none of the others even took a look at me. And um, fair enough, I, I, I had my... Um, wonderful happy years at Newhall and uh, and then at the end of the day I got a first class degree in my final exams which 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 to me makes me feel well I'm you know Newhall's confidence in me wasn't misplaced and I think it's really important for people to know that it is possible to actually apply a second time around and you can be successful doing that you know I think there's this impression that once you get rejected once that's it um, but in your case I guess it shows that that just that just isn't the case yes no that's true and I, I think also um this notion of taking a gap year which you know was quite common at the time um isn't something which people take uh, quite so readily now and perhaps that's as a result of the financial implications as well because i when i was <laughs> back in the day when i was at uni uh, i was i was the proud recipient of, of of money from the state i didn't have to pay any tuition fees so 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 the financial uh, equilibrium has changed quite a lot as well since then but um, but again you know th these are life decisions and 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 sometimes this were you know just thinking well you know maybe taking taking a deep breath and and thinking whether it's worth sort of you know having another go, trying again. I, I think, uh, as I said, I think that is quite an important life lesson, even though I certainly didn't think of it at the time. After all that, do you feel like it was worth it once you were there? What, what were your initial impressions of Cambridge and Neil Murray Edwards? Yes, well, um, I mean, this was a long time ago and Newall hadn't actually finished building itself. <laughs> and <laughs> So we had the um, slightly inglorious entrance, which was uh, right next to the kitchens. And, and it, yes, compared to other Cambridge colleges, it wasn't um, 
very impressive. Um, really felt like the service entrance. But um, you, you, you quickly learn to look past, past those quite superficial aspects, I think, and, and try and discover um, you know, what, what the heart of the college is or the core of the college is. And that, that was, a, was a very welcome journey of discovery for me at the time. There is a sense of family and a sense of community in Mary Edwards. I feel incredibly lucky to have been able to go there personally. Um, and I, do you feel the same? Of course, I'll, I'll always be grateful to New York for giving me a second chance. That that has um, shaped my legal destiny. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, it helped me get into what at the time was considered probably the premier uh, city law firm, uh, Slaughter and May. Uh, for a training contract uh, it certainly helped when I had a um, a career break because you know that um, that first class uh, Cambridge uh, degree is it takes you quite far <laughs> I, guess I think it's fair to say maybe um, maybe not as far nowadays I think there's you know there's much more of a push to to um, to look at um, candidates uh, from a more holistic perspective and um, certainly at the law firms where I I was responsible for interviewing candidates. Uh, there, there has been more of a CV blind um, policy, but you know, ultimately, I, I've always been very proud of my Cambridge um, degree, and uh, and that certainly helped me uh, on many occasions. When you were at Cambridge, I know that in our previous conversations, you've spoken about at first not enjoying the long distance from your family. And how did you deal with that? That's an interesting one because, uh, you know, obviously a lot of water has passed under the bridge since then. And I have to really kind of try and think back to to what it was like. But I, I, I'm not sure my, my um, experience was atypical in that I was really, you know, just trying to work out, you know, a bit more about myself, what, what, where exactly I fitted in. It's, it's hard. It's, it's a, there's a, there's a very diverse group of students that you meet in your first year. You, you don't know who your friends are. I, I remember the, the first week or so I, I used to hang out with my um, roommate because um, in those days you had, uh, you probably still do <laughs> have these uh, split level um rooms where you share with somebody else who you 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 do meet for the very first time I'd never had that experience of sharing it's almost like sharing a bedroom and your first week or so you default to spending all your time with that person but very quickly I think I realized that her interests and my interests were a little bit different and we diverged and, and we found our own group of friends but um I mean, yes, it, it, it's always hard because you you do also. I think Cambridge says that added dimension that you know you 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 know you're part of Cambridge, you know you're part of any of this august institution, and um, and and you're not quite sure, you know, how best to make how um, how to explore it or discover it in the best way, or how how to make uh, the best best time that you can there. Um, in terms of, you know, people will be always telling you, oh, you know, being a student is the best time of your life. But nobody actually tells you how or, you know, that, that, that you achieve that. You have, to, you have to work it out yourself. And um, again, I think um, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I mean, maybe it's less, less true now. But at the time, certainly, I, I was still quite uh, conscious of the fact that, uh, I was a second generation immigrant. Uh, I, I didn't. I had brothers who a brother who'd been to Cambridge, but um, 
no other real ties, uh, being female as well. You know, you could sort of feel that male-female dynamic quite quickly. And um, and and uh, and I think um, I think it's um, it, it's a question for everyone to sort of try and when you're working out your your way going forward through life, um, you need to consider where you're coming from in order to see where you're actually going. And for me, that my family was very much part of that uh, deliberation because even though I might not have realized it at that time, it's, it's, it is just something which is just in, so intrinsically part of you. And, um, and one of the ways that my family who probably recognized this much more, my parents recognized this much better than I did at the time was to, by, um, you know, they used to sustain me and, and well, my friends will remember this. Um, they, they used to give me, I suppose, long distance love by um, making sure that I had a plentiful supply of fresh mangoes during <laughs> mango season in India. And uh, it was quite, it was a little bit of a joke, but a very affectionate joke that, you know, I would have these crates of mangoes being personally couriered <laughs> from London by my father, which sustained me pretty much uh, throughout my four years uh, in Cambridge. And uh, I yeah, that man mangoes for me are inextricably linked with Cambridge in a way which they probably aren't for anybody else. <laughs> no, I love that. You, you have a whole new appreciation for home comforts when you're at uni, don't you? From what you were just saying, did you explore your sense of self? And did your sense of self kind of ch change and was shaped by the experiences you had at uni? Yes, for sure. Um, I mean, I think I was fairly unformed and uh, I think I still am sometimes <laughs> quite uh, quite so impressionable but um, yeah the, the, I mean Cambridge has this wonderful uh, sense of um, almost in it, almost too much choice perhaps but you know you, you can follow your interests you can follow your passions you can all the, the, this amazing uh, choice that you're offered as, as a fresher and, and you can go down various uh, avenues and it, it's hard to know uh, you know where exactly your, your passions are going to take you at the time uh, one of my uh, interests which um frankly was uh, um influenced by a friend from school who'd actually gone to Marie Edmunds the, the year earlier was Amnesty International you know just sounded like a really cool thing to do and so I I became part of that and uh, and at, at after a certain uh, amount of time uh, I actually managed to get myself um, co-president of, of the Cambridge uh, University Amnesty International Society, which was, you know, a cool thing to do, uh, promoting human rights, thinking a little bit more outside the Cambridge bubble and, uh, and organising uh, events for them, which ranged from um, raising awareness for human rights, you know, going from letter writing campaigns to... Um, that's quite a sort of week-long campaign against death penalty and it's quite sh shocking horrible things which you know people debate now that that was happening then as well particularly in the US and uh, but, but one thing which was um, which, which was which was quite fun actually was uh, organizing quite, quite a big fundraiser for them in uh, in the corn exchange which I, I believe is still there haven't, <laughs> haven't been recently <laughs> but it, it, it's a cool place and um and, you know, having to thinking quite carefully, you know, how we were going to um, run it, you know, who the acts would be, we auditioned bands, and uh, and we we 
tried to showcase the best of Cambridge talent, which at the time included a Sasha Baron Cohen. And he won't remember me at all, but I remember him, obviously. And uh, I, I can truly say I, I knew him before he was famous. Knew him before he was Borat. <laughs> Absolutely. Or even Ali G. <laughs> was that something actually that made you decide to change discipline? Because I know that you then at some point um, changed to study law. So could you could you just explain a bit around what at what point and what made you decide to do that? Yes, sure. Um, so so uh, so how did I get to law? Well. I mean, I, I did part one English and uh, for, for me, that was a, a great um, exploration and but, but quite a fast <laughs> exploration of, of the canon of English literature. And, uh, and, and uh, the, the, the really interesting bit, I thought, was the dissertation, which um, I, uh, I focused on Salman Rushdie, who for me was a very interesting uh, author, uh, primarily because of his sense of uh, multiple identities or multifarious identities uh, which he portrays in in his work and and that really uh, rang a bell with me that that, that totally struck a chord because I was at that point both Indian and English still am and uh, and, and it made me think about you know how, how you can uh, do more than one thing and perhaps at, at that point I was thinking well where, where is this English uh, degree going and I, I wasn't sure I, I really didn't um, I didn't know what 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 I wanted to do but uh, what I, I did feel perhaps also through uh, my work with amnesty that that, that, that the law was perhaps you know, something which um, might suit my um, my slightly diverse interests perhaps a, a bit more um, and even going back to my a levels which uh, we've talked about already but what I haven't told you is that um, I did start off doing science A levels uh, before I switched to English and history. Um, I, I actually did maths, biology, and chemistry a long, long, long time ago, and uh, so I'd always had this difficulty in uh, trying to sort of choose between the arts and sciences. I, I really liked them both equally, certainly at the time, and uh, and there was this sort of nagging um, feeling at the back of my head that you know law would be a nice combination of both. So so that was part of my thinking. And, but actually, when, once I actually switched to law, I realised it was neither. It's neither science nor art, perhaps a social science, but it's just different. I think it's, I mean, to, to, to use a legal term, it's, it's sui generis and, uh, and, and something which, which I enjoyed and I was, I was quite good at. So, so yes, that this sort of, maybe it was this kind of, you know, maybe it was inevitable. Maybe it's also partly because coming from an immigrant background, my parents are both professionals, my mother's a doctor, my father's an engineer. I always felt, you know, deep down that um, I, I should do something professional. And law to me seemed to be uh, offering um, a, a very uh, interesting way to, to explore that, that element. Um, having said that, I'm really the only lawyer in the family because both my brothers are engineers. So, so maybe I'm the black sheep, I don't know. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's certainly something which... Um, I think my study of Salman Rushdie, to sort of go back to him, was uh, certainly influenced and uh, you know, notions of diversity and inclusion really decades before they, they, I know it's a bit of a cliche now, but you know, everyone wants 
diversity and I, um, FTSE boards uh, are all talking about it. But, you know, for, for me, it was actually much more of a personal explanation. And, uh, and, and then, yeah, it, it, we ended, I ended up looking very much towards the law. Out of interest, what was the dissertation on the satanic verses about in, from a legal perspective? Yeah. So, so this was, <laughs> this, this shows the, di- the, the, the true of uh, flexibility and perhaps um, that was my literary slash legal brain uh, thinking. Um, so I, I, I did two dissertations the, on on Salman Rushdie, the same subject matter, one from a law, a legal perspective, which was my part two dissertation, and one from a literary perspective, which was my part one English dissertation. Uh, the part one was very much about imagery and identity in, in, in his novels and, and again looking at those notions of, uh, of, you know, how, how do you present identity through language? Uh, is it diverse? Is it diverse, but is it also exclusive, inclusive? You know, can you have multiple senses of identity within the same en- entity or in the same body? Uh, I, I think, I still think that's fascinating. I, I think it's, it's very sad when uh, people ask you to choose. I don't think you should have to choose. I think any uh, person who, you know, uses that as a measure, as a metric with, by which to measure another person, is 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 using quite an impoverished uh, unit of measurement. I get hang- angry about it actually sometimes when people say, "Well, you know, you must feel this or you must feel that." You know, who are you to say? Unless you're sitting in my position, you you don't, you know, do we actually need to be using this? Uh, as a way to um, to test people's loyalty, and it's not easy. It's a tension. It's a balance. You can't. And I'm not saying that it's something that I would even necessarily wish everyone to you know to go through because it, it it does give you a sort of a, a bit of a tension in your life, which which is not easy to resolve. But I, I think if you can find you know some kind of equilibrium between these various senses of identities, um, it, it just you know, speaks to an infinitely richer uh, sense of, of being and, and, and identity. And that, that is something which I've found very strongly in the, the writings of Salman Rushdie. And, uh, and uh, something which, you know, a, a principle by which I've led my life, um, by which you know, I'm sure it influenced you know, my, my family, my, my choice of life partner, my children, uh, so much so that... Um, I mean, you probably can't see them on the bookshelf behind me, but uh, I, I have all the books, <laughs> all the Salman Rushdie's books, and and my daughter has picked them up and she's read them, and 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 again, she's very interested because I think they speak to her as well as as uh, as something is a saying something on this, you know, quite complex question as to where you know where where who am I, where do I fit in, how do I um, live my best life, you know. You know, without sort of reducing it to a, a simplistic set of parameters. I, I think it's, it's really important. I was hoping you'd be able to tell us a bit about what you did once you left Cambridge. Obviously, you've had an incredibly successful law career in law, and I was just wondering if you could maybe um, share some of the highlights of that, your postgraduate courses. Yeah, so so I, I had a lot of fun studying, I must say, um, because I, I only did two years at Cambridge of law, and I, I was, I, and it really grew on me. I mean, it, it was a bit of a culture shock after English. <laughs> 
when you're for number one, you're expected to get up for lectures, uh, which <laughs> from as an English literature student, I always consider them more optional, whereas uh, they were quite mandatory for law. But um, but but I, I took to it and I, and I found it very interesting. And, and I just wanted to delay, if you like, my... Uh, my my actual professional career by a few years, but by exploring it in more depth and in more detail. And at the time, I was I was interested in in international organisations. I mean, at one point when I was a teenager, I said to my mother that I wanted to be Secretary General of the United Nations. So, so you know, certainly not a librarian, but perhaps <laughs> that was a little bit. Uh, Perhaps that was a bit elevated. I don't know. I thought, well, you know, maybe not United Nations, maybe the European Union. So I went to Brussels for a year. I studied uh, European law in French, uh, which was, uh, again, a bit of a culture shock. But I, I managed to uh, learn a bit of French in Cambridge, um, you know, build on my existing French. I had done French at school, but uh, learn a bit more advanced French uh, while I was an English student. And I, and I built on that. And I had just about enough to. To get through, uh, well, to, to, to actually get through the admissions process, and, and by the end of the year, I was quite good. Um, uh, so, so that was uh, again, you know, a, a, an interesting way of exploring, you know, how, how you can live your life a bit differently. Learning, studying in a different language, I, I thought it was great. And um, but um, I and and then uh, I had an opportunity to also uh, study in the US, which was. Uh, something which came out partly through, through personal reasons. My my older brother, the, the one who wanted me to be a librarian, just just <laughs> more avoidance of that. I have another brother as well, but my elder brother was based in the US at the moment. He was in New York, and he was quite. Uh, and he'd already he'd himself studied in the US for postgrad, and he was always very uh, complimentary about the US system, which is quite different, and and it draws out different elements of of your. Uh, sort of academic mind in a way it's it's uh it's just a different way of studying and I'm very glad I did it because I did end up at a U.S. law firm eventually as well uh so, so I did my master's um at uh, Columbia University and I um at the time I did pursue uh I'd made my polite inquiries as as to the UN and I was told uh by somebody who knew a lot more about it than I did that uh, it was very, very hard for uh, Brits to uh, get into the UN because of the quota system and there were far too many Brits there already. So, so I abandoned that, that aspect um, and I thought, well, actually, I, I have all this legal training. It, it's probably time to, um, I've, I've studied law now for four years. It's, it's, it's probably time to go back and, and be a lawyer. I mean, it, it is ultimately, it's a vocational subject. Uh, and uh, and I, I should probably uh, start down my professional career. And I was uh, re recruited by Slaughter May. I got a training contract back in London. So so there I was back in London. And and I, I must say actually at that time um, I I did look at other law firms in the US. I certainly considered um, working for a Wall Street law firm. That's what people did if they graduated from an Ivy League college for, such as Columbia. But um, I, I think even then I realised that that would take me away from my family. And uh, I, I just thought, no, <laughs> I don't want to be away from my family. <laughs> I mean, I had been away for a couple of years in my postgrad studies, but I, I just wanted to um, go home. I mean, not, not necessarily live with them, but just be near them and um, be able to see them when I wanted to or, or not, uh, as the case may be. But um, 
So, so I went back to London and uh, started my training contract with Slaughter and Meg. And then you ended up staying in the League of Profession in London for what was 20 years, was that? Before you've made over 20 years, over 20 I, I lost years. count after 20. So I started my legal training contract uh, with Slaughter May in um, September 1997. Oh man, that was a long time ago. I, I also very coincidentally met my husband in the same month, September 1997. So, oh. so, so, so that, that date is entsh- in, enshrined in my, uh, in my consciousness. And, uh, and and I, I I worked for Slaughter and May for a few years. I worked at other law firms, all all big names, uh, Norton Rose. At, it was at the time. Now it's Norton Rose Fulbright because they merged with a US firm. And I worked at uh, Berman Leighton Paisner as it was at the time for over ten years. Uh, they also they have merged with a US law firm. You'll see a bit of a theme here. <laughs> and uh, they're called Brian Cave Leighton Paisner. A bit of a mouthful. And uh, fine, my final uh, six odd years, um, we, we will talk about the career break in, in a bit, but in terms of my actual working years, uh, I was at, at a firm called Mayor Brown, which in fact uh, is an American law firm, but um, they, they acquired a, a UK uh, law firm called Rowan Moore uh, many, many years ago, probably about 15, or maybe even 20 years ago. So, so again, there was that transatlantic uh, theme, which, um, which which actually I liked. I liked the fact that you know I was working for for a US based law firm because uh, it sort of almost validated what I studied so many years ago at Columbia. I, mean, I, I took the New York bar at the time as well, and never really used. It. And finally, I came to a law firm which actually valued it. So that was quite nice. <laughs> And, and I stayed there for, for uh, exactly six years, in fact, um, in the end. It's amazing, isn't it, that one decision, your decision to switch from English to law changed your entire life. I mean, I'm sure people have the same conversations today, but I, I remember being party to many a conversation where people just didn't know what they wanted to do. And, mm. and, and you know, especially those who had taken uh, non-vocational degrees, which is the vast majority of people I knew. Yeah, it was quite. It's quite hard to to decide what to do and where to go. And uh, I, I felt that the law did give me that uh, certainty. There was that well trodden path, and even if um, and and you know, which you don't necessarily have to take, but it, it's there. And I think it's um, it's something that um, at the time when I, I probably needed some structure, it, it gave me structure uh, in my life. So it was right for the time being, but then I wonder, in our previous conversations, you've mentioned that there was a period in your life um, which made you question that. And I was wondering if you could share briefly about, um, I know it might be hard and obviously we can move on if it is, but um, if you could share a bit about that. Yes, no, I I, I can do and and forgive me if my voice... um breaks a bit at this point uh, so I'm unfortunately very sadly in, in January 2017 my, um, my my nephew died aged 19 uh, he was attending Pembroke College Cambridge at the time and uh, it was very sudden and uh, yeah what can I say it's just it was it was out of the blue it was a total shock to the family and obviously uh, to, to all of us, from my parents to, to my children, 
And we were, I mean, it, it, it sort of, it, it was a very brutal um, reinforcement of our existing you know, family values, networks, support, love, loyalty, all of that. But, um, but it also made me think uh, in a way which I had never done before in terms of, you know, what it actually means to live a good life you know what, what what success actually means what 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 is the point of it all if without sounding sort of too existential um, because these sudden uh acts of randomness can just floor you at the and I, I was floored my whole family were floored and it just makes you think so i was very much questioned uh what what success meant to it and perhaps it's something I hadn't given that much thought to before then. I was I was fairly happy, you know, buzzing along on that um, legal escalator, progressing you know, in terms of senior, seniority, in terms of pay. And, uh, and then, you know, it made me think quite carefully as to whether this was all or this was it. And for many people, it is it. Um, and, and the definition of success, certainly from a private practice law firm perspective is very much you know you become a, you go in for training you spend your time as an associate and then you become a partner and that's what you do until retirement basically and you have lots of money when you retire that's the that's the um the the the, the sort of carrot at the end of you know can be quite a long stick but um I I so I, I'd been I sort of bought into that not not entirely perhaps but i pretty much bought into that um and I had had pretty focused on my career I was I had my I'd had my kids I had my super understanding fabulous husband who I'm very luckily still married to today who was who was totally supportive and and I I think maybe I could have just carried on had it not been for this um awful awful experience um the the untimely passing of my nephew so at, at that point I thought maybe I can do. I should do something else. Maybe, maybe I just needed to do something else. And uh, and and I I I. That's when the, the plan started to ferment, if you like. But uh, but but being a cautious lawyer, so I spent twenty twenty years being a very cautious lawyer. I wasn't just going to step away from my uh, my my uh, well, sort of traditionally successful job uh, and the, well, obviously well paid job in the city and uh, and partly that was because i i had actually done that before and not with uh, the uh, best of results in in terms of um long long time ago uh when when i was pregnant with my first child my first born daughter the, the one who likes someone rishti um i i just had really bad morning sickness i i was hypermetic nobody knew what that was at the time all i knew was i was vomiting i was vomiting horribly six times a day I was losing weight I, I just thought this is awful um I've got to get out of here and I just quit I quit my job and hindsight that was not perhaps the most strategic moves um and uh at one point uh, in fact my husband also uh ended up quitting his job for for totally different reasons at the time so so both of us were sitting on the sofa at home unemployed and I was pregnant <laughs> and uh, still vomiting from the morning sickness and and so and, and it was really only after uh, obviously I, I, I 
I had my daughter, she's um, amazing, she's 17 uh, now and in her final year of school. So this was some time ago, but um, I, I, I quit. I, I spent you know, the time which I, I thought I wanted, I, I needed actually with her uh, when she was young. I, I, I had a bit of a career break and then I thought, right, okay, fine. Now I've got, you know, that's done. I can just sort of waltz in back into the city. I can waltz into any law firm. You know, I've, I've got my Cambridge first class degree. Isn't that enough? And, <laughs> and it was surprisingly hard <laughs> to find a job. And uh, at that point, I realized, oh, okay, uh, if you take a decision to uh, step off the escalator, you may be surprised how long it takes to step back on again. And, and it took me some time uh, to get back on that escalator. Again, I, I, I suppose, um, perhaps lack of imagination at the time, I didn't really know what else to do. And um, it was such a well-trodden path, I just got back onto it eventually. But it did teach me uh, you know, never quit your job unless you have another job to go to, if at all possible. No, really good advice. And thank you so much for sharing about your nephew. I'm so sorry to hear that. On the other point that you brought up about uh, taking time out of work when you have children, that's obviously really important because a lot of women have to kind of really think about how to manoeuvre that prospect. Despite that being difficult, getting back into work, after having time off, uh, having had your daughter with the morning sickness and everything, do you think there's a positive angle to that that made you kind of start kind of the cogs going about whether you should be giving your life to to practicing law? Quite possibly. I think I think the balance changes so much after you have children, and um, unless you outsource absolutely everything at which point well then what's the point of having children if you never see them and there are a lot of people who decide to do that you know they'll go down you know the, the sort of nannies and boarding school road uh, I was brought up and uh, certainly not something which I envisage for my own family structure and my um my own children but you know I was also quite focused on my career at the time but you know perhaps not as focused perhaps you know, there was something which kind of made me hold back a little bit, thinking, hang on, this is, you know, you, you, there, there, are, there are tremendous sacrifices in terms of just hours. Uh, and uh, it, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice at the time. It's almost, you know, offered to you as this is your opportunity to work on those, you know, fabulous high profile uh, mergers and acquisitions, which are, which you'll read about on the front page of the, of the Financial Times. But um ultimately <laughs> and you know and you should be you should be grateful to have another all nighter <laughs> and, uh, and it's exhausting and but and but you know so 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 I, I I was already I think perhaps a little bit well you yeah after children this is not sustainable and and, and that's of course why so many um women quit but uh, uh or, or go part-time or or try desperately to sort of you know, juggle and have it all and, 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 and end up just being exhausted, I think. I think it's really interesting what you say about having to make that choice as a woman after you've had children. And especially in a, in a profession like law where the hours are so intense, what do you think could be done to change that, if anything? And how do you think that can be improved? Well, I, I mean, I think the first thing is to um, take away from it um, any connotations of it being a woman's problem. 
because as soon as it's a women's problem, you know, it's almost like you're the victim, but it's your responsibility to fix it. And yeah, that just doesn't sit well with me. I, I think it's, um, and, and, and honestly, I think lockdown has moved the dial in this uh, more than any, um, any lobbying or any campaigning or feminist, you know, uh, movement could. Uh, it, it, by just making it clear that the choices that we make you know, in as professionals or in our careers, that they 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 can be done differently. And as as soon as you start talking at it as being a more general work-life balance problem, and I appreciate that notion of balance is is different for everybody. And you know, for some mothers and fathers, you know, that will mean something quite different. But but given that notion of flexibility, saying that, for example, you can work from home more, I mean, you know, it's a no-brainer now. It really wasn't before. Certainly wasn't a no-brainer ten years ago, and and the notion of working part time, unfortunately, and I really say this uh, with with a lot of regret because it, it affected me. Uh, this there was always this sort of underlying connotation, which I think is partly linguistic, that if you're working part time, you're somehow only partially committed. You're not fully committed to the job, and and it's it's taking perhaps lockdown and you know many 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 years to really uh, move the dial on that as well because you know the law in this particular but many other professions are, are considered a, an all or nothing profession and you are literally valued on the number of hours that you work that that, that is the measure of success i was hoping you'd be able to tell us a bit about um your very recent big career change did that happen this year it did indeed it actually happened last month so (laughs) it's very recent so uh october 2021 so so just um going back a few more months this all this year i I had a milestone birthday i think it would be um i don't necessarily need to share details as to which milestone but you can probably guess from the other dates i've i've given you during this uh talk but um so and that that was uh the, the master birthday was 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 a bit of an eye opener not just because it happened in lockdown it was all a bit yeah a, a bit different but but uh, I, I had a chat with one of my a very good friends who's um who knows much more about uh legal recruitment than, than, than i do and she she was very she was honest in in the way that only your close friends can be and she said that you know if if um if i were to make a, a choice uh, a change uh, rather in my career there was no point in beating around the bush it had to be something uh it had to be sooner rather than later and because you know in a few years it just wouldn't that option that avenue would not be available to me and and having you know been told that by someone in no uncertain terms is a bit of a wake-up call I mean it also um perhaps uh, raises other questions as to you know with the extent to which there is ageism in 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 uh, in all careers or in all professions, but but you know it, it it's a sad reality that you know we need to uh, work around you know what pervading prejudices misconceptions there are. We we can try and move the needle, but um, you know ultimately there's only so much you can do uh, in one life, and you have to also try and make the best of it for you as well. So, uh, cut a long story short, I thought you know now was the time to to make the plunge. Um, it was something I'd had been thinking about since since uh, 2017. I'd, I'd really, really wondered, as I said, uh, you know, what 
you know, my definitions of success, all of that were, had, had undergone a change, but I hadn't actually done anything about it. But now it was time to act. Well, LinkedIn is an amazing <laughs> social media platform because um, I, that's how I, I uh, found my new job, or I should say it found me because I was contacted through LinkedIn by, um, by Thomson Reuters. And to cut a long story short, um, they, they brought me in as in a very different role. So I will, I'm uh, a senior editor, a global editor. So I have um, international uh, <laughs> aspirations and international dimension. Uh, a senior uh, global editor uh, for competition law, which is my area of uh, speciality, known as antitrust in the US. And um, I'm going to help them um, very much uh, with, with their products. So totally different. I'm, I'm no longer a solicitor as such. I, I no longer uh, advise. I'm going to develop. I'm going to try and um, concentrate uh, sort of basically um, use all whatever I've learned or whatever experiences I've had over the last 20 odd years as a competition lawyer and try and pull that into useful knowledge management products, knowledge management tools as part of, um, well, I, I call it disrupting because uh, still really uh, law firms are based on this time you know, parameters, time metrics. So, so very, very bluntly, I mean, it's not always the case, but very often um, you get paid, you know, you get paid or you charge the client based on how long you, you uh, work on something. Now that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realise that actually you end up being paid a premium for inefficiency because if you just take longer to do something, um, you know, you'll, the more time is racked up, and and uh, and 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 clients have have woken up to that. I think um, I think that is something. You know, law firms just can't just bill on a time time basis. You know, there there are the clients will push back, and and of course, you know, there, there are a lot of law firms out there. So, um, so 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 the legal profession is aware that 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 it has to become more efficient. And how do you do that? Well, um, as in many other areas, technology is key. And if you can, uh, you know, make uh, the technology um, available to, in a form that lawyers can understand. Now, lawyers are not perhaps the best at technology. They're not really, I would say, early adopters. They're not really at the forefront. But if you can do something which makes lawyers um, not reinvent the wheel, that has to make the whole process uh, more efficient and and happier clients because you know, the bills are less and happier lawyers as well because you're not spending so much time at work i think i think that could be a win-win situation mm. even though it's not you know something which is perhaps as prevalent as it should be in legal practice i, I can think i can say that now <laughs> and uh, and but you know hopefully it will be i hope you know things are changing and 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 the wheel won't be reinvented as as many times as it can be currently or is being currently. And so a month in, are you enjoying your new role? Yes, no, it, it's great. It's it's great because it's a time to refresh and renew. I think with any new job, I mean, even when I've moved law firms in the past, it's been, it's been again, you know, going back to my Salman Rushdie obsession, it's been a, a, a chance to reinvent and redefine. Mm. And um, that, I think that's true. It's, you know, you're starting at a new school, you're making new friends, but you're also leaving the, some of your sort of 
package behind, which is which is great. I think it's always it's always quite liberating. Um, but but I'm, I'm also because I'm not in an advisory role. I'm not. I mean, the the, the pressures are just very different. Uh, so so I, I can really think about you know the subject uh, competition law, which is which is actually a, a great area. It's 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 applied economics. It's looking at it's all, it's quite interdisciplinary for, from from a legal perspective. It's very much looking at you know what make businesses tick. Uh, there's a lot of economics there. There's a fair amount of politics as well. Uh, it's a very global theme because you know what's going on in the US, uh, especially um, you're probably aware that you know, that there's a bit of a sort of global movement against big tech at the moment because even though no one quite knows what that should look like that the, there's all sorts of things going on it's, it's a super interesting area mm-hmm. and in private practice um it was always a struggle uh bluntly to keep up with all these new developments but now that's my job i get to spend time reading and really uh, absorbing and then trying to package that in a way which makes life simpler for um for, for other lawyers without being uh without oversimplifying it that, that's really my, my my challenge now I think it's so interesting and reassuring that you can after 20 years in one career you've managed to jump into something completely new um you know it must be a liberating feeling in, in itself I want to ask what advice do you have for anyone who finds themselves in a similar position would you tell them just to leap I mean, it's hard, I think. I mean, certainly don't, you know, look before you leave, don't do what I did. <laughs> and um, I mean, for, for me, it was a natural uh, step because it's looking, it's using what I have already. And I think, you know, you shouldn't downplay your existing strengths. I mean, all, all the buzzwords about transferable skills. I, th- I think I think that is true. I, I think, you know, when perhaps... You know, sometimes your skills are more transferable than you think they are. I mean, I always just thought of myself as a lawyer. I was only qualified to be a lawyer, but I, I, I hopefully that there was a bit more to me than that, and I'll find out very quickly if there's not. Um, but, but it's also, um, I mean, yeah, if I, as a cautious lawyer, I mean, that's that's a that's a bit of a truism. But lawyers are by nature quite cautious. I think you know that's what attracts um, them to the profession in the first place. Um, if I, as, as a cautious lawyer, can make the leap, I'm, I'm sure others can as well. And, and technology is something which is, which is strange uh, and not necessarily something that you know we're, we're very comfortable with because we don't really understand its possibilities. It's changing all the time. And, and, and I would say that you know if, if I'm you know at my um, slightly advanced age can sort of try and learn new things, learn new tricks technologically, then then surely others can as well. I'm looking forward to learning again. I mean, you know, we're back to Cambridge and, you know, ha- life is a learning experience. And if you do get the opportunity to learn, yes, take it. Um, you know, don't don't uh, be too set in what you think you can do, maybe, because you could potentially do a lot more. And, um, and it's good to be expanding your comfort zone which I think just inevitably shrinks as you get older unfortunately so 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 just be mindful of that and and see if there are other opportunities you know how you can uh, redeploy your skills um I, I, I've certainly found it um you know so far so good it's only the first month so it's early days yet but but you know I, I'll be very interested to see where my journey with Thomson Reuters takes me and um I mean, who knows? We'll maybe meet again in a year or two and I can tell you.
What I'd really like to ask as a final question, we usually ask all our guests how they define success. Um, but I think as I've realised throughout our conversation, your definition of success seems to have gone on quite a transformative journey. Um, so I was wondering if you could perhaps compare how you defined success when you left Cambridge and how you think about it now. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point because I, I think I, I probably unconsciously or maybe even consciously adopted uh, predefined notions of success. That sounds very legal, doesn't it? But, uh, but it's such a well-trodden path. It's, uh, it's so um, determined, if you like. And, uh, and, and, and you sort of you, you step onto it and it's harder to step off it. And, and you, you see what success looks like, even if it's not for you. That, that's really the, the definition that you're uh, living your life by. And, and it's only if you sort of start understanding. I think you have to know yourself better than, you know, what perhaps society perceives success to be to be able to step away from that definition and say well no that isn't actually for me not necessarily rejecting it altogether I think but you know at least modify it to your own individual circumstances so so I mean yeah traditional model of success in the law firm you know you step on as a trainee solicitor you uh, you ascend through the ranks and and you know you become a partner and uh, at, at some point you will retire <laughs> maybe a little earlier than most people because by that point you've accumulated quite you know significantly in terms of material success shall we say um but you know that's not necessarily the, on the only way to live your life it's it's actually quite a narrow definition of success if you think about it and 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 it doesn't uh, really allow for the trade-offs and you know the opportunity costs which might be involved which I think are quite important, and sometimes people think about them quite belatedly. So, so for me, actually, uh, my definition is much more evolved in terms of I, I, I do like the intellectual challenge. I like to be busy, but I like to be able to contain that in a way which means that I don't necessarily, um, you know, be at the client's beck and call every evening when working with the US or whichever jurisdiction it is. You know, I don't. I, I can plan my evenings. I can plan and do things in the weekend. I can chill. I can spend time with my friends, with my family. All of that um, is actually just much more important to me now than I think perhaps uh, it was, or or I perceived it to be. Uh, I think it's it's important, and you know, perhaps belatedly, I, I bring back a, a strong <laughs> a measure of work life balance uh, into my life, and uh, and certainly. I, at the moment, I think it's 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 working well. I mean, the only downside to that is I may need to cook a lot more than I've had to previously because I'm around a lot more, and I'm not even sure that you know that's a good thing. I'm pretty sure my kids would say that's a bad thing because they're, they're, my husband's cooking is far superior to mine. But uh, apart from that, it's it's working well. Thank you so much for joining us, Rosha. That's been such an interesting conversation and I really appreciate you giving it your time. And good luck with the new job and I hope it continues to go well. Thank you so much. And, and maybe just as you know, a final point that um, I, I, I do, you know, I'm, I'm not religious, uh, but, you know, there is something about Hindu philosophy which has permeated my life and, and, and it is quite uh, satisfying and inspiring just to sort of be able to reincarnate myself. <laughs>
uh, most recently uh, at Thomson Reuters, and and let's see where where I go.